There are but two ways to look at the world, my way and the wrong way. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed. That would have been awkward if you didn't. Uh, do you know someone who thinks this way? Lives this way? Don't be too quick to look at the person in the pew with you. They, yeah, anyways. Maybe better that we just say there's a little bit of that in all of us. So maybe on a scale of one to ten, to what extent is that you? Like one, only a little, ten, yeah, of course, I'm right. <laughs> Confidence and conviction are good things. They are gifts. They are great attributes in great leaders. See, when we've done all the pre-work, all the homework, all the studying, all the looking into it, then you're ready for the test. Then you're ready to purchase the new thing, the car, the house, the whatever. Then you're ready to decide on the next goal for the year ahead, for the next quarter. And confidence results. You have explored all the sides of a political issue that you can see. You've heard all the voices from all the different places. You've tried to pull it all together and hold openness and all that, and you've arrived at a conclusion and conviction results. Then there is a right answer for the test, for which car, for which goal, for which side of the political issue to advocate for. And then there really are only two ways of looking at the topic, your way and the wrong way. Am I right? It's good. It's good that we could look in the mirror and see this in ourselves, at least see the extent to which this dynamic is true. For in noticing it, you are seeing the extent to which this is a place where God may be preparing to shape you and mold you to be like him. For according to Jesus in our text for today, which was read beautifully, well done, as we aim to live on mission as the congregation at Holy Cross, walking as everyday people every day to live out the abundant life of Jesus, such certainty must be arrived at, well, what did you hear? Must be arrived at carefully or differently or not at all? See what you think as Jesus, what Jesus is asserting as we walk alongside Jesus as he walks with Nicodemus, a man who comes into it very certain. We're in John chapter 3, so if you'd open your Bibles now, if you brought yours along with you, open that up, John 3, pull out uh, the device you've got it on. There is a pew Bible, looks kind of like this. Uh, if you want to open to that, I'll give you the cheater on this. It's uh, 1649 if you want the page number. Uh, John chapter 3, starting at verse 1, we're hanging out with Jesus and Nicodemus today. Uh, starting right at the top of the chapter. So now uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Hold up. How does he know these things? Why did he come to him at night? Well, if you back up for a sec into John chapters 1 and 2, basically what John has said so far is Jesus is God come into the world. 
He said that a variety of different ways. Uh, He said things like, he's the light that shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. He's said things like, he's the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us, took up residence among us. Uh, He's reported that John the baptizer has proclaimed that Jesus is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world, which has Old Testament connections that they would have heard as this is God in person. And John chapter 2, we see Jesus' first miracle, evidence that this guy is not the same as everyone else. He changed water into wine at a wedding. Jesus uh, does a God-like thing as he goes in and clears the temple. He's saying, look, you're not going to use my father's house the way that you have been. Stop it. Get these things out of here. Let this be a place of prayer. And people are like, who are you to do this? And he's like, well, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days, which the temple he was referring to was his body. And he indeed did do that when he died on the cross and was raised three days later. But he hadn't done that yet for them to believe. And yet, now here, end of chapter two, verse 23, you can read along with me. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Though the final uh, uh, destroy this temple and raise it up in three days hadn't happened yet, some were coming to believe. Maybe one of them was Nicodemus. It doesn't say, but as we get into chapter three, it's clear that Nicodemus and the others in the Jewish ruling council had been talking about these things, had been figuring and had concluded, like Nicodemus says in verse two of chapter three, we know you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. And so knowing those things, Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night and asserts his conclusion. And Jesus gives him the verbal stiff arm. It was awesome. Just like the Heisman. Like uh, Jesus is like, hold on right there. I mean, really, read that, that first part again. Jesus, uh, he's telling Jesus these things. And it seems like he's just like starting to say what he's going to say. And Jesus is like, well, mm, I'm just going to interrupt you right there. And he says, verse 3, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No, like, hey, I'm glad you've been listening. No, like, hey, I'm glad you noticed. Or, yes, you're right. Like, there's no, like, encouragement that he's doing some good things along. It's kind of funny how much Jesus just, like, cuts him off and is like, guess what? You don't know anything. Dude, you're blind to what's really happening. And you're going to be blind until you're born Again, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And then Nicodemus's response, it reminds me of Amelia Bedelia. Any Amelia Bedelia fans out there? Oh, come on, there's more of you out there. Amelia Bedelia, yes, it's beautiful. If not, go to the library and read some of that. Amelia Bedelia, it's totally, Amelia Bedelia takes everything super logically. Uh, So um, this is what Nicodemus does here. Uh, He's like, born again? I'm supposed to go back inside my mom? Uh, I'm not cool with that. I'm pretty sure she's not either. Uh, (laughs) And Jesus then rolls his eyes and says, oh, bless your heart. 
Okay, he doesn't say that, but come on. I mean, you could argue that Jesus' patience with this highly educated leader in the church is absolutely the most recent miracle that's going on here. I mean, what what does this guy think? Like, Jesus is really telling him that? Anyways, but that's not what happens. Uh, Jesus doesn't roll his eyes. There's no, bless your heart. Uh, Rather, Jesus just patiently clarifies, verse 5, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. He's saying what I said before about being born again. You can also talk about born again as being born uh, of the Spirit or born of water and the Spirit. If you want to put together the two things that Jesus said in verse 3 and in verse 5, he's saying you not only can't see, but you can't enter the kingdom of God without being born again. Now, I think I probably should retract my assertion about Jesus' patience being the latest miracle. Because Jesus saw the big picture. He saw Nicodemus' inability to understand that he was as unable to understand this reality as toddlers are able to understand where babies come from. Like, you can explain it as many times as you want. They still don't get it. And for Nicodemus, it's because he's only been born of the flesh, not born of the spirit. As it stands, it's impossible for him to see or to know or to trust the truth. I think the, the New Living Translation does a great job uh, making this clear. It translates verse 6 this way. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So for all things kingdom of God, certainly comes. Certainty comes, but it comes differently. Confidence and conviction come through the Holy Spirit only. Uh, Even the most learned person can miss the most basic and essential details. Therefore, when it comes to all things kingdom of God, it can't be my way or the wrong way. It's God's way or the wrong way. If we want to live well, we must die to our preconceived notions about Jesus and his kingdom. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, he means following the real Jesus as he is, as he's revealed himself to be. Not the one you'd like him to be, not the one you'd hoped he'd be, not the one you thought he was based on your logic or your study. See, this born-again requirement is a huge part of what Jesus has in mind when he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. An essential ingredient in losing your life is surrender, particularly here, surrendering your mind to God which comes through the lead and the work of the Holy Spirit in you. I want you to grab your bulletin now for a second. Take a look on the back of it. Uh, Where those announcements are, there is a a verse down on the bottom, this colorful one with the heart on it. Take a look at that now. All right, I want you to read it along with me. Ready? Here we go. In view of God's mercy, 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. An essential ingredient in losing your life is surrendering your mind to God. Hold on to that. So what does this mean for you? For Nicodemus, uh, who hadn't been born again, that's what Jesus says, so he didn't even have a chance yet to see or enter the kingdom of God, that's what Jesus says, or to really see who Jesus is. Uh, So if you've been baptized, you're in a different boat than Nicodemus was in the text. Baptism, see, is a certain place where the Spirit gives birth to spirit. When Jesus describes born again and being born of water and the spirit as one and the same things, he's saying this happens in baptism. Anybody use the baptismal font on the way in? You you dip your finger in and you put uh, some water on your head to remind you of your baptism. If not, do it on your way out. It's at the center door here for the sake of remembering this reality. Those who are baptized are certainly in the boat of those who have entered the kingdom of God. Uh, They're among those who, as Jesus says later on in this same text, those who believe in him, who shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, if you've not been baptized, or there's someone in your family who's not, what does that mean? Well, there's potential that, like Nicodemus, you're not yet born again. You're not yet entered the kingdom of God, that you're not yet among those who will not perish, but will have eternal life. At the very least, you are missing a concrete certainty that you've been born again. That's one of the gifts given in baptism and and all the blessings that come with being someone who is born again. And I just want to speak to you for a moment here. So the rest of you, if you could just be patient with me. God wants you to know that he sent his son to die for you and he wants you to receive this gift in baptism so that you can have certainty that it is not just for the world, but for you. So if you're not yet baptized, Pastor Brian and I would love the opportunity to chat with you more. Don't wait. There is so much good to be had there for people of all ages. So, but to those of you who are baptized, well, this puts you in a different boat than Nicodemus. It does not put us beyond the frailty of our flesh. Nicodemus-like misunderstandings of Jesus and his kingdom. It just positions us to be able to see what needs to be seen, what might need to die so that we can live. So the question is, as it comes to preconceived notions about Jesus and the kingdom of God, what needs to die? What do you see? What needs to get drowned in the waters of baptism again so that you can come to life? To, to use the picture that's been up here, to what needs to get buried like a seed so that it can produce life again, a new growth For most, I suspect the answer is, I don't know. Like, if I thought I was wrong, pastor, and I knew why I was wrong, then I would change my mind, then I'd be right again. So I know I'm right, so I'm pretty sure I'm not, I'm wrong, so I'm right. Right? (laughs) So if that's you, and you're standing in front of the mirror being like, "I, I, I don't know. Let me suggest a few things that need to die now, so that when something does come up, You're ready to hear it when it comes to your attention. Hear what might need to die. It's two things. So if you want to write them down, they're really simple. Number one is pride. 
We need to die to our pride, to our arrogance that we know we're right. I need to be able to say, I might have misheard or misunderstood something about Jesus or the kingdom of God. And this is especially hard the longer that you have been a follower of Jesus. I've been doing this since I was a kid. I'm a, I'm a diaper Lutheran. That's an Oklahoma thing. I've been a, 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 I've been a Lutheran since I was in diapers, because not everybody else down there is. So anyways, uh, I've been diaper Lutheran, and I know these things, and this is certain, and I have no idea. You've been at it such a long time. It's harder to accept that I might have missed something or misunderstood something. But I tell you, I've sat there with 70 and 75 and 80-year-old people that come across something in Scripture, and they're like, I've, I've never heard that before. I've never understood this before. This, this makes so many things more clear. Or, man, I have missed out on a portion of life up till now because I missed this. Remain open to this. Let your pride die. Let your pride, even in your pastors, die. Your arrogance that your pastor has it all together and all the other ones, maybe they make mistakes, but not my pastor. We're human too. And they might have mistaught or misunderstood something themselves because they too are in process. I am in process. You must concede as well. I encourage you to, to die as well to the pride in your church body, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Well, it is striving to be faithful and the one that I certainly want to be a part of, there's a possibility that it might not have every detail dialed in perfectly. We need to die to these things because when new things come along, if, if I'm so certain of myself or my pastor or my church body that I'm unwilling to let the Spirit move in my heart and move in new ways and new directions for things that are faithful to what's in the past but not what's been happening in the present, I'm going to miss the movement of God in my life. So number one is die to pride. Number two is die to reason being supreme. Die to my reason trumps everything. Die to uh, if you this uh, if you decide you're going to believe and follow what God says, if it makes logical sense to you, it's time to repent. Die to that mindset. It is a dead end path and not the path to the abundant life of Jesus that He is leading us into. Friends, there is lots of things about God and His Word and His commands that don't make sense. I'm just going to give you a few. Jesus himself does not make sense, does not make logical sense, that Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he's 100% God and 100% man. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you're like, yeah, I've always known these things, but explain that to someone who's not, and they'll be like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? Uh, Jesus' work doesn't make sense, that he can heal with just a word, that Jesus could have the whole weight and punishment of the sins of the whole world put on him once and for all and suffer in our place. How does that work? That the Father could give the benefits of Jesus' death and his resurrection with some tap water and a few words in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Are you kidding me? That sounds like witchcraft. It's crazy. But this is what he does. This is how he works. God's commands in our broken world don't fully make sense to us. That, that we'd be born with desires that God says we shouldn't pursue and thus would spend a lifetime in the struggle with those desires. It doesn't make sense uh, that women shouldn't be pastors when there are so many that seem like they'd be great at it, maybe better than some of the men out there and would love to, 
but it's his design that men step into this role fully. God's action in our broken world doesn't fully make sense. The children will be allowed to die before their parents. I don't get it. That people will be born into families and to cultures where they never have a chance to hear about Jesus and be saved. I don't get it. But these are who God is. They are what he commands. They are what through spirit-inspired scripture reveals about Jesus. These are struggles that are true with desires in this world and, and pastors and death and salvation for you, but not others. And to our minds, it does not make It does not all make sense. In many ways, we join with Nicodemus and Echo. How? How can this be, Lord? But at the end of the day, we have to decide. You have to decide. For my life, for my choices, for my priorities, will my way or God's way carry the day? Will my way or God's way, carry the day. In view of God's mercy, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is only one way that leads to life and life to the fullest. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you've been baptized, if you've been born uh, again, you are already certainly on that way. So continue in it intentionally with conviction and with confidence, and increasingly God's way will become your preferred way. I'm going to share with you uh, one more verse from a psalm, and then I'll wrap it up for today. It's this, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In fact, say that along with me. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let me translate for you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will put his desires in your heart. You will desire the things that he desires. Not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come. We pray this all the time. He's saying, delight yourself in the Lord. Be with him and in his word. Revel in his love and generosity toward you. Take moments of of silence and pause in your life to soak up that and be with him. Come and receive communion. Remember, whether it's with water on your head or just every day as you start your day, how your identity is rooted in his work for you in your baptism. And he will mold you and form you so that you would be transformed by the renewing of your mind to be more and more like him. See, by that spirit working in us, certainty is possible. Confidence and conviction are part of the abundant life of Jesus that he's welcoming us into as those who are born again. Increasingly, they will be our experience as we lean into the work of the Spirit who made us be born again and is daily giving us new life in him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we don't deserve it, but you give it. We We don't deserve your mercy, but in view of it, that Jesus Christ did not come into this world to condemn the world, but you sent him to save the world through him. In view of all that, Lord, help us 
to live in that born-again life that you've given us, to not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but by your Spirit's leading in us, be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we not only know what you know and do what you do, but think like you think. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.